wonderful to be able to meet out here in the, what I would say, in the cool of the evening, as that nice breeze comes up and cools us off. Of course, the downside of that breeze, as I saw her from Squeers preaching last Sunday evening, it does tend to blow your pages around just a bit. So I'm juggling about four or five paperweights up here, trying to keep my notes so, uh, so point two doesn't end up in the parking lot. I will do my best to have that not be a distraction for you this evening. We are going to turn to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, that is printed in the worship folder, where if you have your Bibles, you can turn there at this time. This evening we'll be looking at just the first seven verses Acts 6, beginning at verse 1. We hear now this gospel. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said, please the whole gathering. They chose Stephen, and full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Econor, Timon, Arnas, and Prolas, and Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests came obedient to the faith. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, we are tonight entering what I would suggest is the second section of the book of Acts. Now, perhaps you recall back in Acts chapter 1, we had something of an outline given to us. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that is somewhat an outline of the book of Acts. Uh, the work in Jerusalem taking place, what I would suggest is chapters 1 through 5. The work in Judea and Samaria, chapters 6 through 12. And the work to the ends of the earth, chapter 13 and following. Now, in this series, we are only going to go through chapter 12. We will save that work to the ends of the world, perhaps for a different time, looking at the missionary journeys of Paul. I said the second section starts here, while many would put the second section in chapter 8. In chapter 8, we read this, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So if that says they're scattered in chapter 8, why would I say chapter 6 is the beginning of part 2? That, that dispersion 
was caused by the martyrdom of Stephen. The Stephen that we are introduced to in Acts chapter 6. So that's why I put the beginning of the second section in Acts chapter 6. I guess it really doesn't matter where, where you put chapter 6 or chapter 8, but it's good to keep in your mind something of an outline of the books of the Bible. Uh, many of us have a hard time just recalling exactly where something is found, but perhaps we can at least keep something of an outline of what's taking place in the various books. That's how we do serious preaching through books. To acquaint ourselves with, with the grand scope of Scripture. So we look tonight at the story of uh, the seven servers. Seven men who were appointed to serve in the church. Now, these seven men are not referred to as deacons. But I do think we see, when looking at what they were called to do, uh, we see the root of the diaconate here in this text. They were called to care for the physical needs of God's people. That's a very uh, brief definition of the word deacons. They care for the physical needs of God's people. So we still have servers today in our church, those who serve the diaconate. Tonight we look at what their work was. What's the nature of their ministry? What are the qualifications to do that work? And we see how God used this, this giving of seven servers, seven men, to be a blessing to the church. And God still does that today. Blesses us through the ministry of the diaconate. We see that this, uh, these men were chosen as a result of difficulties in the church. Verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. We had a problem in the church. Notice, first of all, that the problem came because the church increased, and that's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing when God chooses to grow his church. But as the church grows, there are often challenges that come along with that. And that was the case in Acts chapter 6. There was a division, uh, a complaint between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Who were the Hellenistic? These were the Greek-speaking Jews. These were the Jews of the Diaspora. Those who were spread out throughout Asia Minor after the Babylonian captivity. These are the ones referred to in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, verse 5, Pentecost again. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. These are the diaspora Jews coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, the feast of Pentecost. They were heavily influenced by the Greek culture. So they had a particular mindset, a particular way of doing things. They come in conflict with the Hebrews. These are the Jews who are in Jerusalem. Uh, they have spent their lives in Jerusalem. Largely not Greek speaking, Aramaic, or perhaps Hebrew, and heavily influenced by the culture of Jerusalem. So we have these more, we would say, world travelers, the diaspora Jews, and we have 
What is the center we call the townies? The, the local, the local Jews. And they have a different background. They, they, they have a different cultural influence, and they come in conflict with each other. What we should notice, however, is how much they have in common. They were all Jews by birth. And beyond that, they were all Christians by rebirth. They have so much in common, yet, yet they, they have this conflict arise between them. A conflict over the distribution of food. It was not a theological conflict. They were not competing theologies. It was a very practical matter. And they let that become a difficult, a hardship in the church. Now, as the body of Christ, there will be time when we may disagree with each other theologically. And those will be very important discussions to have. But when the, when the disagreements are of simply a practical nature, we have to be so quick to show grace to one another. When it becomes a matter of you know, how many psalms versus how many hymns do we sing, that's very practical. Do we have a, uh, the organ playing with the piano playing? It's a very practical matter. It's not that these things divide us. There has to be this recognition of how much we share with each other. Let not what about the non-essentials bring a division. That's what's happening here. Uh, a concern about who's getting the food caused a division, a complaint in the church. How do they solve that problem? Verse 2. And the 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. What they do? They call the congregational meeting. They got everybody together. And they said, look, we got a problem. And this is what we'd like you to visit. We're going to ask you to pick out seven men whom we, as apostles, will then appoint. Let me see how similar that is to our own style of picking deacons. The names are brought to the congregation. The congregation makes a decision, and they can stream them appoints those men, ordains those men, installs those men into office. They were set apart for particular service. Now, who was set apart? Did they just kind of go down the row, okay, deacon, no, 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 deacon, no, no, no. It was a random choice. There were particular qualifications that were given for those who would be able to serve as deacons. We are told they are to be men who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Now, while that phrase, full of the Spirit, is not fleshed out here, it certainly is elsewhere in Scripture. We can turn to a text like 1 Timothy chapter 3, where we have the qualifications for the diaconate. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, we read in verse 8, Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, 
They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons and prove themselves deacons. They are to be dignified, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. And we understand that. The deacons are going to care for the gifts God's people have given. They can't be looking for the latest get-rich-quick scheme to try to make money for the church. It must be sober money. The qualification for a good deacon is not simply being a good businessman. It's okay to be a good businessman. It's not necessarily qualified to be diaconate. Be dignified, not greedy, not addicted to much more. There's be those who are full of wisdom. Deacons are asked to make very difficult decisions. And it requires an immense amount of wisdom. They are called to find ways for the best use of the gifts God's people have given to their Lord in gratitude and in love. And they are called to administer those gifts. That is an easy task. Particularly when people come to ask for help. Deacons have to know how best to help them. Is it best to provide physical uh, supplies right now? Is it best to talk about financial counseling? Or is this a time where they have to say, I'm sorry, we're unable to help you at this time? Those decisions take wisdom. And uh, we don't get this so much anymore since we don't live in a right next to the church. We used to live right next to the church. We would often get people uh, coming to our door asking for help. And the one thing I've learned from that experience is that the truth and a very good lie sound the same when it comes to determining if people need help. You say, now this is either the truth, and this is a very hard case, a very difficult case, or this is a really, really, really good lie. And often, deacons just don't know what to do. They are called to use wisdom in administering the funds of they bring offering costs to us. Our own deacons bring offering costs to us. And they think about those carefully. It's not as if, now I'm not really allowed in the deacon's room, even though it's across the hall from me, I'm not really allowed in the deacon's room. But I've looked inside once when I can peek through the door. And I expect to see, you know, on the wall, a big dartboard. Here's the offering costs. What do we got this month? And that's not how they do it. They don't randomly choose what to bring. They carefully think about what causes should our church support? Where should God's people's money be going to, to further the ministry of the church? Deacons are called to make difficult and need wisdom to make those difficult decisions. Set apart men who are full of the Spirit, who are full of wisdom. And our text says, are men of good repute. That is, they are men who are known to be this way. Who are known to be full of the Spirit and known to be full of wisdom. 
And that same qualification is given to us today as a church. Our deacons should be those who are known as those of good repute. When, when the uh, names are brought to the congregation uh, for the nomination for deacons, we really shouldn't hear anyone say, oh, wow, I'm surprised to see that name on there. It should be someone who's known as a man of good repute, known as a man who is full of the Spirit of God, who is full of wisdom. They already have these qualifications. In fact, that's what uh, the reference is made in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, read that verse 10. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Let them be tested first. Otherwise, in other words, the idea is they've gone through some difficulties. They've gone through some hardships. They know and express a, a wisdom the decisions they have made. They should be known to be men of this character. So I say to those of you in the congregation, you men who aspire to the academic, and it's a good thing to aspire to the academic, don't wait for a letter from the council before you start to serve. Start serving now. There are many opportunities to sure, to demonstrate a heart that loves to serve. You know, I think of food for life when you feed the people. That's a wonderful time to have a heart for service. There are other opportunities that we have for service in the church. Start now demonstrating already those qualifications for the act. Demonstrate those qualifications uh, in your own family, if you have a family. A man who is wise in relation to his wife and his children. A wisdom in the church life, wisdom in your daily life. In your ongoing uh, work God has given to you. One who is known as having a good, honest reputation. That's the nature of this idea of being tested first. Sometimes this text in verse 33 has been misused in the past, misunderstood in the past. The text does not mean that, having been tested, uh, that somehow the diaconate becomes a training ground for the eldership. I've heard that said before. So-and-so's name is coming up for elder, and someone will say, yeah, because that's the term The diaconate is not a training ground for the eldership. In fact, if you look at the qualifications of both elder and deacon, they are very, very similar. They just have a different task they've been given to do. It's not the case that you can't be an elder unless you've already been a deacon. Each has its own particular ministry. What is that ministry? It's a ministry to help the church be what the church is to be. Verse 2. Twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Now, when they say that, they are not putting down serving tables. They are not saying that it's beneath us. In fact, that work of serving the physical needs of God's people was so important that the apostles themselves were doing it. 
the apostles were engaged in this ministry of service. It highlights the, the, the exalted nature of the ministry of service. Rather than, than find out there's a difficulty and say, look, this ministry really is kind of a sideline for us. It's really not that important. Let's just drop it. They say, no. This ministry of service is so important. We are going to set aside seven men to continue this work. We're going to set them aside for service, this important ministry in the life of the congregation. The work of the Diaconate. Although it perhaps might not be as visible as the work of minister of the word, or work of the eldership, the work of the Diaconate is by no means a second class Deacons minister to the hurting. They minister to the needy. And they minister the love and mercy of Christ himself. They provide for people's physical needs. Those are important needs. They deal with real, practical, financial matters. And yet they do so in a spiritual way. They minister in the name of Jesus Christ. The deacons don't just write checks and hand them out and don't say anything. They minister in Christ's name. They minister His mercy and His compassion. Now, some of you may have, uh, in the last few months, uh, received a stimulus check from our government. Uh, if you got one of those checks, uh, there was no notice on there. We are giving this to you because we love you in Christ Jesus. That was not written anywhere on the check. That's not how the government works. It doesn't work that way. But that is how the diaconate works. They work to minister Christ's love and Christ's mercy to those who are hurt. We think of Jesus' own ministry. Yes, he came preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. But Jesus was, was able and willing to provide food for the hungry. He provided healing for the sick. He provided comfort for the mourning. It is that ministry of Jesus Christ that the deacons carry on. Of course we know, Christ came to meet our deepest need, our greatest need. He came to save us from the death of our sins. He continues that work. He continues to call out and all who embrace him, their salvation, but just because we're saved doesn't mean all our financial needs go away. We do not preach a health and wealth gospel. Believe on Jesus Christ and you'll be wealthy. You won't hear that from this point. Believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Just because we're saved, let's keep us free from the physical trials in this life. And the deacons come. In Jesus' name, they minister to us. In fact, the, the church is sometimes characterizes, you know, all they want is my money. Churches want my money. The deacons set that picture on his head. They come to minister, not ask, they come to minister to those in need. And 
they show love of Christ. Very often, the first point of contact with our church may be through the diaconate. Someone has a need. Someone is hurting. Someone needs help. Where do we go for help? We go to the church. We come to the church and they encounter the details. We don't simply write a check or give a meal or whatever. Do so expressing the reason we do this is Jesus Christ has loved us and given himself for us so that we can give to you. Their ministry is a precious ministry. And notice what happened when they did their ministry, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. When each did their work, the apostles in their teaching, the deacons in their serving, when each fulfilled the role God had given to them, the church grew. And the church multiplied greatly. That is our prayer in this realm. That as those who are called to serve in the church, to serve as office bearers, Different places of ministry, but still called to serve. That as each does their work, God will see fit to give his blessing to the church. And if a, if a disagreement does arise, they're able to deal with it and move forward. And not let, not let a non-essential pull the church apart, but when necessary, finding ways to find solutions. God has given to us. Elders for our spiritual oversight, and deacons to minister the compassion of Christ. And these are a blessing. But the act is a blessing to us. And so we need to regularly thank God for this blessing. I know, I, I, I know many of you pray for me, and I am so very thankful for that. I hope you just as regularly pray for the eldership and pray for the diaconate. God would help them to, to make those difficult decisions. God would give them wisdom of how to best use the gifts given by God's people. That God would give them a continued servant's heart. It's very easy to become jaded when you're a deacon. As you hear sob story after sob story after sob story, and they want this ever again. God would help him to continue to minister mercy in his name. And that we as a congregation would provide them with the resources necessary so they can do their work. So they can support Miami International Seminary, various mission causes, local Christian schools, Christian colleges, all the various ministries that we do our part to give lovingly, to give joyfully, to give the deacons what they need to carry out their ministry love of service to those inside the church and to those outside the church. Oh, may God help us to recognize the blessing of the service he has provided for us. Let's join Lord our God, we thank you that in your goodness you revealed to us in your word the way of salvation. And we love that and we embrace that. Beyond that, oh God, you've given us instructions 
of how to structure ministry in the church. We thank you for our own deactivate, for each of those men whom you have called to this particular position. We pray, oh God, you would bless them in their personal life, in their family life, in their business life, that you would give them an extra measure of your wisdom in the decisions that they are called to make, that you would help them, oh God, to lead us in, in ways of showing mercy to others. Help them, oh God, to minister in Jesus' name and help each of us doing our own duty do that which is pleasing unto you that you might see fit to bless your church. Hear our prayer, God, for Jesus' name. Amen.